Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Books, the Hidden Gems author podcast, which Craig Touch, myself, Roland Hume, chat some interesting figures and leading lights in the crazy industry we're in of writing and self-publishing. And for the first time in 2024, we have a brand new guest, Kimbu York, who is an author, a librarian, a text technology historian, and a former IT project manager, all four important skills that assembled together. Kimbu, thank you so much for joining us today. It's so good to be here with y'all today. Thank you for having me on. Well, we are delighted to have you here. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing great. Thank you, uh, Roland. Thank you, Kimbu, for coming on today. Um, you know, it's funny, you said uh, the first time in 2024, I was just looking at the schedule. So I guess we we did put out a podcast that had somebody on it, but we did we recorded that I guess last year. <laughs> so is this is our first guest that we're recording with uh, this year because last week we it was just you and I chatting about stuff. So I'm st- I'm still getting used to this year. Like I'm like, yeah. oh, really? It's I know, and I'm going to keep saying 2023 all the time. I'm sure <laughs> I've already said it once in my regular life. <laughs> no, it's 2024. I'm I, not quite sure if I'm over the 90s being over. <laughs> <laughs> sadly but true <laughs> um okay so yeah like so what we wanted to talk to you about this uh this week is um you've written a book about creating serials um yes. you wrote become an unstoppable storyteller how to craft compelling serials and that is something that we um often talk about the importance of uh, Roland and I because you know as an author one of the easiest ways to sort of get you know, that uh, recurring revenue and, and creating the, the, the fans that keep coming back is when you have a serial, right? And you have a set of books and people want to come back and read the next one and the next one, you know, depending on your um, your genre, you know, it's not always, a lot of people in romance, they write standalone serials, right? Where the, the couples are sort of in, interconnected, you know, the, the, the friends in book one become the lovers of book two and this and that, right? So, and which is another, you know, way to go, right? Because then, everyone can come in at, at any point. Um, but then there's the serialization where it's like, you know, you need to read them in order and you, sometimes they end on a cliffhanger and, you know, which everybody kind of grumbles about, but they still come back for more, right? So, uh, so yeah, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you, why you wrote this book and, and your experience with serials and, and we'll sort of jump into it. Uh, I think I've always been somebody who loves long running stories. Like even as a child, like I'm old enough, I'm dating myself a little bit to have watched the first Star Wars, A New Hope in theaters when it was released. And the idea that it would be a continuing story really appealed to me. Uh, All my favorite books as kids were book series, uh, The Black Stallion. And then of course I went into Star Trek and then everything was, yeah, you know, there's story over. Um, As I became a writer, what I realized is that I love to write these long-running stories. Now, I got into professional uh, publishing as a professionally published author through romance novels, which tend to be very structured and have very set beats, always have a happy ending. I don't have any problem with that as a reader, but as a writer, I felt very restricted. And then in about two 2015, I took on the NaNoWriMo challenge and started writing a book called Wolves of Harmony Heights, and it has since been published. And it was such a difficult book to 
end. And I know we always complain about writing endings, but for me, it was like I was pushing back against the urge to keep the story going. And I realized it was almost 200,000 words at that point. I was like, no, no, it's got to end. It's just got to end. <laughs> and I had no place to cut it into two or three books. It just it just had a very unique structure to it. And I just couldn't figure out what it was doing. And since it was kind of a vanity project anyway, I wasn't too worried about it. I just kind of threw it out into the world. Well, fast forward to uh, probably 2022, 2023, and subscription models have started coming into much more prominence in the author community. Of course, subscription models have been around for a long time, and serialized fiction, um, in my opinion, is one of the oldest forms of storytelling. Back to when it was oral storytelling, and, you know, 1001 Nights. You know, tell a little bit of a story, and then tomorrow you get the next section. Television shows, we're all very familiar with serialized storytelling, but I think it's coming into a renaissance for authors. And as I looked at that and I started realizing that's what I wanted to go into, I kind of turned back and looked to Wolves of Harmony Heights, and I realized what I had actually done with that book, novel, so-called, was start a serialized, a serial which I personally differentiate a serial from a novel. Like you can have a series of novels, kind of what you were talking about with the romance genre, like one novel focuses on this couple, the other novel focuses on this couple, but they're all connected and it's a series. A serial is a very long running story about a character or a group of characters. I think everybody right now is probably familiar with one piece, uh, which started as manga and then, you know, became an uh, animated anime and is now live action. <laughs> it's just, but I believe the anime is already up to a thousand, over a thousand episodes. My kids have informed me of that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they did. Uh, it's, 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 it's a fabulous story and it's very long running. In my book, I give examples of plenty other stories, both, um, you know, Asian, Japanese, some Chinese and Western stories that I think fit that model. But I think it's becoming a very important model for not all authors. Like it's not required to do a subscription with serials. You can serialize anything. You could serialize a novel. You could serialize a short story. You could serialize an epic poem. Like, I don't care what you serialize. You could use that for a subscription model if you want. But my focus is on these really long-running stories and and how you can structure them so they don't run out of steam or fall apart, which is usually what tends to happen if you don't have an eye on the long, what I call the long story arc, the long structure. Is that, is that a very long answer to your very short question? <laughs> no, it's, it's a great answer. So so you're actually talking more about, you know, sort of the like the radish model of serialization of, of stories into smaller chunks um, as opposed to, you know, like the Game of Thrones series, which also is a serial in the sense uh, that, you know, it's a continuing story, it continues their kids, same characters, right? They're not standalone. I think it could go either way. I think it depends. Like I do, I think you're right. I think Game of Thrones is a serial, what I would define as a serial, but it's being published as a series of novels. 
So there's some gray area here. That's a totally valid way to do it. Uh, a lot of trilogies are, in my opinion, actually serials. My my famous example being the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, in my mind, that is just one long serial. Uh, one of my favorite books series ever is Master and Commander by Patrick O'Brien. Ooh, good choice. Oh man, I re I, I, I it's not something you can reread every year, but every few years I go through that whole series. I love it so much. That's definitely a serial. But obviously, because of the technology at the time when it was released, they were released as individual books. So there's just a lot of wiggle room in how an author wants to do it, which I think is the advantage of doing it these days because we have the technology. We can self-publish. We can get try to get a traditional uh, contract. We can do Radish, Ream, Wattpad, Royal Road, Ink It, like so many out there these days, or even self-hosted on WordPress. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of authors in the early 2000s were doing that, were serializing their stories on self-hosted platforms. So there's just so many ways to do it. The question is, what do you want to write? Do you are you like me, big on world building? big on long story arcs that tell this massive story about these characters going on these big adventures? Are you somebody who likes to keep things very discreet and you just want to, um, like cozy mysteries, like you've got the mystery, you know, mystery of the week or mystery of the book with the same characters. So there's two very different things. Some overlap, but it just depends on what you want to do as a writer. I just want to open the world, open everybody's eyes to the possibility of what you can do with a serial long-running story. That sort of puts me in, in the head frame of uh, Hardy Boys, which I read. As a, <laughs> oh, yeah. As a kid, good right? And so yeah, yeah. that idea of it's always a different mystery, but it's the same mm -hmm. brothers mm -hmm. always doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew are kind of the cozy mysteries for kids type of thing, because that's really right. what it was. It was. It was lots of fun. But again, it depends on what you want to do as a serial, as an author, how you want to serialize a story and what kind of story you're trying to serialize. That makes sense. Right. And what is your preferred way of serialization? What, did, what route did you go with with your, with your book? Well, Wolves of Harmony Heights, I did end up publishing as a novel. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to go back and rewrite it or try to do anything different with it. I'm moving into onto other projects now. But those projects, I am actually, um, posting on Ream, which is a new serialization platform. It has, it's heavy on the romance right now, but the founders are trying to expand it to other genres like thriller and horror. And I know a couple of historical fiction authors who are on there. Um, and so I'm trying to, my work nowadays is more fantasy focused. So I'm going to be publishing uh, my new one, Dragon's Grail, the first episode, the first installment is coming out later this month. And I'm really excited about getting that one, that one rolling. That's going to be a long one. Um, so that's what I'm using right now. Now, what I also do is I post free chapters, which are older chapters that have been out for a while on platforms like Royal Road, Substack, uh, Inkit, Wattpad, just to try to attract readers who might be interested in the story. So there's lots of different levels to how it can work. Now, you mentioned, I mean, one of the things that um, I think must be a challenge about serials is where does it go to? Where is the destination? You mentioned with the three book arc, that's great because that does have a destination. But then I guess one piece, I mean, that's still just, I don't claim to know much about it, but it's still been going on for a thousand episodes. Where is it leading to? Days of our lives, where is it leading to? 
Well, for instance, Days of Our Lives, you know, is a t- classic soap opera, which is designed to go on infinitely, right? So it's never going anywhere. One Piece does have a ending, and that is when they find the One Piece. They are actually on a search for a specific thing. And the author of it has stated that they will eventually find this thing. They're just going on a lot of adventures first. <laughs> so there is a goal there. Uh, the goal with Lord of the Rings, for instance, was to get the ring destroyed, get it to Mordor, throw it into the volcano and destroy it. So I think if you're going to be thinking about a long-running serial sh- uh, or a long-running story, you need that end goal in mind. You need the thing that your people are moving towards or your characters are moving towards. In my book, I talk about the long arc. And the whole point of my book, actually, there's a a free spreadsheet that basically encapsulates a lot of principles in the book that I have on Google Sheets. And I can share that link with you so you can share it with your listeners. That kind of shows what I'm talking about in the sense that you can take, say, the hero's journey, very typical, and use that as your long story arc. And it is the one that's going to go all the way from the start of the serial you know, to a million words later, which some go that long, to the end. But to keep readers hooked, you need these shorter story arcs. And usually the shorter story arcs are a little bit simpler. They uh, might be just a simple three-act structure. It might be a six-act structure or something like that. And they're the bits and pieces of the story that keep people hanging on. Think of... um, a television serial that has a cliffhanger at the end of the season, right? So that season is kind of the short story arc, the shorter arc. And then they have the cliffhanger and you've got the big arc over on top of it. They still haven't found the thing. They haven't still gotten to the place, but then you start another season. You resolve that cliffhanger and then you keep doing, repeating that, that type of structure over time. And it will keep people engaged with the story over the span of a long, long time. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a daunting sort of process for a lot of people. I'm sure it's you. Okay. But but it's not, it's not, it's not. So, so like it's, it's, it's what you want is that thing that they want. Like my story dragon's grail, that's no spoilers for me to tell you that the main, the main focus of the characters is to get this baby dragon across a continent. That's it. They have to get this baby dragon across the continent back to its mommy. That is, their whole goal along the way they're going to have so many adventures and they're going to meet so many different other characters and there's going to be tragedy and there's going to be a love story so you may think it's daunting but if you think of that thing if you think of that that goal of your characters then everything in between is just fun stuff yeah i'm thinking more about like sort of the the plotting out of everything. So are you, uh, would you characterize yourself then more as a plotter or? I am absolutely 100% a pantser, which is so ironic, but I am the kind of pants, like this kind of goes into, I actually have another book coming out called uh, by the seat of your pants, secrets of discovery writing that's coming out in less than a month. And it talks about a lot of the things, um, types of techniques that pantsers and discovery writers can use. And one of them is that we write towards a beat which is what got me into the beats of serial storytelling because I like the freedom of creating on the go. My curiosity drives my creativity. So I need to have that unknown that I'm working towards, but I do need some structure. And so I just use very basic beats to say, well, there needs to be 
you know, if you're writing a romance, just using that, there, there needs to be a meet cute. There needs to be a long, dark, long, dark night of the soul. I don't necessarily plan what those things are going to be when I start the story, but I have the beat structure in place. And as I said about the Google worksheet, if you look at that, you will see that I do have all of those beats spaced out, both for what I call the shorter story arcs, what I call the, the bridging arcs, and then the long story arcs. And it's all very visual, which is why I created the spreadsheet because it can get complicated fast. So you, you, you plot out sort of all those things, but then you pants out the details as you go. Right. Exactly. You know, I just know that they need to get the dragon to the mommy. I know that they, that there's going to be a certain character arc for the main character. I know that um, there are certain beats that I want to, like, I believe for the shorter story arcs, I'm using, um, save the cat model a a version of it's not exactly save the cat but it's a form of save the cat for television and i'm using the short i'm using that for the shorter arcs and that really helps me because that just keeps me on task but i don't really know like i have one right now that's called the the pirate's witch and i don't know who the pirate witch is i don't know where they meet her i don't know how they meet her but i know there's going to be an inciting incident involving her and i guess a pirate ship like I know I know that much. But that's so it. you'll start writing the serial and publishing it without knowing that information. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so when you create these spreadsheets, they're not fully fleshed out necessarily. You could, you could sort of continue to, to build on them as you go. Yep, exactly. Right. So what are the, you know, the skills that an author needs to be able to to, to do this, I guess? Well, you know, you get into all sorts of skills and, you know, what, what skills do an author, does an author need to write anything, right? Well, you need to have, well, right. but, but I think you need a different specific, mindset, you know, yeah. sometimes for, for different kinds of writing and different yeah. styles of writing, right? Uh, definitely. And I think for, for, if you're going to be getting into, um, uh, writing a serial, what you want to do is you want to think about how long can you commit to those characters in that story. Um, It's not about so much how, what's your skill set at outlining or how good are you at world building? You should have a pretty good world building skill set, but you should just know, like we used one piece for an example, which I think started in almost 20 years ago. Uh, Berserker is another uh, manga that started in the late 80s and the early 90s is still ongoing. If you want to really commit, if you have a set of characters or a plot that you really want to commit to for multiple years and you love it and you've got an idea of what their ultimate goal is going to be, then that's kind of the mindset you're going to need going into a serial. If you don't have that, if you don't want to do that, then I suggest stepping back and doing look at novel series or, you know, where the kind of like we were talking about earlier or just standalone novels. But a serial does require a certain amount of dedication. And so in that sense, I say, you got to love them. You've got to love the characters. You've got to love the setup. You've got to love the world that you're going to be writing in because you're going to be there for a few years. Like I think Dragon's Grail at the very least is going to be 300,000 words. And it's just knowing what I know about how I want to get them where they're going. And that's going to take me at least two years. 
writing on a regular basis, almost every day, several times a week, writing on this particular story with those particular characters. And that's a heck of investment. And so, you know, one of the challenges too, you know, I, I, I experimented with the radish model a couple of years mm. back. I wrote a series about it on the blog where, and, and in that sense, I took an existing novel that I mm. sold years ago and I sort of broke it up into, into pieces and then, and sold it that way. Right. Um, and I know that, you know, some of the, uh, for the reader, some of the, uh, uh, reluctance to to get involved in a serial sometimes would be the idea that what if the author abandons it before it's even finished? Um, and so, you know, that's a separate issue kind of like, you know, it's, <laughs> you can do, you can do <laughs> what I do with TV series now is I wait till it's done before I even start. Mm -hmm, <laughs> but, right. Um, but that, but, but I guess, you know, if you're writing um, from scratch as a serial, in the in the way that you're doing it right um it, i guess one of the challenges is every time you you write a new piece and publish it that's now locked in and you can't go back i i assume you can't go back and start editing those pieces like when you write a big novel you can at the end you decide something comes to mind i want to do that you can go set it up in those earlier chapters uh you can you know you have a new character you have a new surprise and you want to leave a few clues and little, some breadcrumbs you can go back and do that or you and you also have the editing process to to catch inconsistencies and stuff like that right but with this if you're writing you know chapter by chapter and publishing it and now it's out there you never have the ability to go back and change that and i guess that is sort of uh you know, uh, I guess a limitation or something that you kind of have to keep in mind when you're writing in your planning or in, in that sense, or I don't know, how, how do you deal with that? Well, I've got two answers for you because this is something that comes up a lot. Uh, the first one is that uh, very few people, so what I call that is au courant writing. That is where you're writing something and before it's finished, you're putting it out into the world. And some authors do write on Monday and publish the chapter on Friday, especially in the romance industry where there's a lot of churn and a lot of demand that, that I, I know writers who do that. I am not one of wow. those writers. Yeah, I know, right? I'm like, I can't do that. Um, because I am a pantser, what I've found is that I have to get about 30,000 words, 30 to 50,000 words into a story before I really grasp what's going on. I have to do that kind of writing. I write into the story. And so once I do that and I know the characters and I've got a real good, you know, feel for what's going to happen and I just really feel comfortable writing in that world, that's when I'll back up, look at the first few scenes, do some editing and start posting them. I've already got this, you know, uh, set amount that I'm already ahead and so if I just keep working on the story, I'll always be able to have time to go back and do some editing on the ones that are starting to post. And I think you'll find with a lot of serial authors, people who are writing really long running stories, that's a lot more common. That's, you know, they will write out either if they're going to serialize a novel, they'll write out half the novel or they'll write out the majority of it. And then they'll start, go back and start serializing the pieces, which is why oftentimes you'll have, Serial writers using multiple projects at the same time, which is as a pantser, I always have to have multiple projects at the same time. It's just the way my brain works. Um, so that's one answer. It's not quite as scary if you look at it that way. It's like, oh, I've got a backlog. I can work on that backlog while I'm continuing to write forward. 
The second answer I would give you is, and, and, and Craig, I mean this with all my heart and with love in my heart, but it is not 1995, my friend. We can change things on the internet. <laughs> and, so, I, and so what a lot of authors are doing when they post these chapters is they say, here is the rough draft. Here is the work in progress. I cannot guarantee that when the story is finished, this chapter will be the same as it is now. And readers are fine with that. Readers who enjoy the anticipation of being a part of a serial, as opposed to readers who want to wait until it's already done and in the can, those readers, they don't care. They just want the story. They're like, if this character's name changes or this setting changes, or we get an extra chapter in between these two chapters to explain something, they're fine with that. And so it's been a shift for me as well. I like I point fingers at you and point fingers at me to realize that being able to kind of write in public is okay. Readers are okay with that. My fans love my writing and they're not going to get on my case because character side character D went from being 15 years old to 40 years old down the road. And I go back and, and retcon that like that's they'll be like, oh, okay, that's fine. So that is a lot of what's going on in the serial community. You've got the backlog. So you're not always posting just right on the nail and you've got the, opportunity to down the road, you can go back and fix things. And, and that's certainly true when people are taking the arcs of their serials and publishing them as books. They usually, that's the point where they usually give it to professional editors, sharpen things up a lot, and then they post it as a book and they just let it be known that the serial is kind of a work in progress. And so when you, um, when you do that, can you do that on the, like the, platforms as well like mm. meme or whatever or is that only for people that are sort of publishing on their own in their own sort of space? oh no no wattpad ream inkit royal road uh all of radish all of those platforms allow you to go in and edit chapters that already exist um sometimes they'll they'll mark that they've been edited that they've been changed sometimes they won't um i always because for me it's about community with your fans rather than just being a great writer, because um, I will never be a great writer. So I'm more about the community with the fans. Um, it's being honest with them. As long as you're being honest with the fans saying there may be changes down the road, then it's going to be fine. But all the platforms do allow you to go in and change things. It's no different than taking, if you're self-published and you publish a book on Amazon, somebody finds a typo, you correct the file, and then you go republish the new file. People are kind of used to that these days. In fact, they expect it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great that that is something that people um, accept. I think, you know, if I was reading a, a story, like personally, if I was reading a story like that, you know, and then the author's making changes to it and at the beginning that I now have to reread to, for later things to make sense, that would annoy me. <laughs> but I, don't, I, I don't think that's like, that's kind of where the backlog thing comes in. If you're right. not that's certain, the way I would do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not, if you as an author aren't certain that you're like, if I went and I published, well, I did actually. So uh, I, I was being part of a writing challenge with a friend and I had an idea and I started writing it. So I was posting like 250 to 500 words a day of this raw story. And I love it. I love the beginning of it, but I had to stop. I couldn't keep going once that month long challenge was over because I realized 
I'm going to be changing a lot of things about the story from this first part that I've already written. And so I haven't pulled it down, but I've just made it clear that once the story picks up again, there's going to be a lot of changes because I have to write into it to know what I'm doing. So if you're a writer who who is very used to being able to go back and retcon things once you've written to a certain point in the story, don't start sharing it until you've reached that point. Um, because yeah, if you change too much, readers will start getting a little grumpy with you. Changing minor things, changing names, changing settings, changing ages, I think readers are a lot more amenable to that. But like if you go in and add a third you know, main protagonist out of nowhere, then they're not. That's a different story. So don't do that. I think changing names I always, is confusing too, though. <laughs> I had the example of my first book in my series of books. There was a character who had a brother. And then when I got to book nine in the series, I realized I'd written eight books in which he was a single only child. And then I had a brother in the first book, so you go back. So I can see what it <laughs> does seem. You have to, you have to like commit to these things. I love it because one of my older, this is an unpublished novel, but I did the same thing, but with a dog. I had a character, I had this lovely, this loyal dog, and I just kept writing and writing. And then one of my beta readers came back and said, later in the story, I was like, so what happened to the dog? Like, where did you do with the dog? And I was like, oh, yeah, the dog. I got, got it. The readers yeah. always catch those things. <laughs> we love our fictional dogs, though. Oh, we do, we do. I, I need to include more fictional dogs. So I'm a dog um, girl for sure. So let's talk a bit about the compensation model because, okay. um, you know, that is something obviously that authors are going to be interested in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody who hasn't played around with this model at all is probably curious about how it would compare to, you know, putting out a novel and, mm. and just selling it that way. So what are you finding? Like, I know when I did with Radish uh, and, you know, it's been a couple of years and I often honestly forget about because they're still they're still up there i've published a few of them and I, I forget about it and once in a while i'll go check my dashboard and say, oh it's made a bunch of money right but it you know they're not i'm not actively promoting it which is another issue that i think we should probably talk about which is mm -hmm. one of the things that i sort of highlighted when i did that experiment was you know there it's not that easy it wasn't that easy at that time to sort of like bring in those readers it's it's like you almost have to advertise for the platform more than your book mm -hmm. um, and so then you're relying on the platform to sort of advertise to their readers right unless you have your own following but um but like yeah so how how is the compensation model sort of done and how do you find that you know it, it sort of compares to writing a book so I'm going to completely remove from the conversation self-hosted solutions, because if you're hosting a subscription model using software on a WordPress platform that you own, it's all yours, right? So I just don't even want to go into that. These can be done. It's being done. Um, good luck to you on setting all that up. What we're seeing right now is a bit of a shift. So what you're talking about with Radish and Vela and um, platforms like that is people subscribed to the platform. And then you as an author got a cut of the good, a cut of the, you know, proceeds, right? Kind of like just with Kindle Unlimited. You put your book up there. Kindle has a pot of money that they then partition out in pieces to all the authors who are on Kindle Unlimited. Radish and Vela particularly follow that model. Um, so if you're going to be publishing there, you'll be, have a lot higher discovery because they, as the, as they are the platform making money, they have a vested interest in trying to promote more authors to more readers to get more subscriptions. 
So that's the trade-off there. Uh, newer platforms like Ream are more focused, and Substack for that matter, um, are more focused on providing a hosting solution, you might say, where the author is getting the money directly and then paying the platform a percentage out of that. I think for Ream, it's 10% of your subscriptions. So if you have, you know, a uh, hundred people subscribed at $10, then a month, then you get that money, but a cut of that, 10% of it, which would be $100, <laughs> math, um, but that would go to the platform itself. So there's really different ways to do it. And it's kind of in the middle of a transition period now as that's becoming more popular, um, especially with sites such as, I keep leaving out Patreon. A lot of authors are on Patreon. And again, that's a direct model but it's really hard to read a book on Patreon. <laughs> it's just, it's not set up for that, right? Like if you've ever followed an author on Patreon, it's a miserable experience aside from getting the updates in your email box. And Ream is trying to solve those types of problems, which I think is very important for reader engagement. Discoverability though continues to be the issue. Um, it's how do readers find you? And that's always been a problem for authors. So it's a matter of if, you're buying advertising, where are you sending them? If you are on something like Vela or Radish, there's a little bit of internal discovery going on, which is probably why you're still getting a few bucks out of what you have up there. If you're doing something like Patreon, Ream, or Substack, then it's all on you to drive readers to the platform and subscribe. So it's just the difficulty level shift depending on what your priorities are and what you want to focus on. It's one reason why I've um, I've got an ongoing serialized novel right now, and I do post the free chapters on all the free platforms like Inkit and Wattpad, and I do free chapters on Substack so that readers can find me. And then they know that if they want early access or they want extras, they'll have to subscribe to me on Ream. So it's kind of a funnel. Now, I don't think there's one way to do it at this point because the technology keeps changing, keeps modifying, and giving us new opportunities on how to do it. So you, I guess, yeah, so I guess because you're advertising on those other platforms, those people are sort of already accustomed to reading it in that format. But otherwise, you know, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to advertise on a more traditional platform like um, Facebook, your barriers also, you know, on top of the just regular barriers, your barrier is going to be sort of like introducing people to this whole, the mm -hmm. way that this works and that sort of civilization. I, th I think that's one big thing that's happening right now. I, I often joke that if you want to see where publishing is going in five years, look at fan fiction. If you want to see where publishing is going in two years, look at romance. And you see a lot of romance readers have migrated to these subscription platforms. And so a lot of people think, well, romance readers will do it. And they're, you know, why would a thriller author or why would a science fiction author or why would a, you know, a historical fiction author or be on these platforms. But I think we're in a transition point where because the accessibility of these platforms is becoming so much more common, 
people are getting used to the idea. They're kind of warming up to it. And in much the same way (laughs) that we all went through in 2008 to 2010, where a lot of people were saying, well, the traditional publishers are never going to publish eBooks because who reads eBooks? Like that's just not going to happen. Right. You know, that's for the self-publishing people. They might do the Maybe the bestseller will be an eBook, but it won't really be a thing. And now everybody is used to reading eBooks. Everybody has a preference. That's not to say that printed books are, don't exist anymore. Of course they do. But it's much more common and much more acceptable and much and people are just very familiar with it. So we're seeing these transitions with audiobooks and we're seeing these transitions with serialized stories. It's going to take a couple of years, I think, before it really just sinks in and anchors into the mass reader consciousness. But I think it's happening. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I haven't heard as much about it in in sort of my sphere, um, but it does make a lot of sense because I know a lot of romance authors and other authors too are in the last few years, what I have noticed is they're sort of like, you know, whereas when uh, KDP came out and then everybody sort of jumped on the bandwagon of, of you know, of being exclusive. Now the going wide thing is is sort of gaining in popularity mm-hmm, again, mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. pushed back against an Amazon centric model. Um, so now it makes sense then for them to now even push back further against a whole uh, more structured online publishing model. I think, uh, and I'm certainly, I'm not a business, you know, I'm not an MBA, like that's not my skill set, it's it's been a business, but I do think that what we're seeing nowadays, as you said, pushing back against the Amazon model, people are realizing they want to control the different buckets. So you've got direct sales, you've got subscriptions, you've got distribution through Amazon and Kobo and all the distributors, you've got library access, you've got, you know, box sets and special Kickstarters, and people, and many authors are starting to realize that it's about their own publishing ecosystem rather than throwing all of their money into KDP to be on KU and hope Amazon pays them 0.0043 cents per page read. So I think it's a matter of the, the paradigm is shifting a lot for a lot of self-publishers, but just because they're just tired of not being in control of that. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, taking back sort of even we did an episode, um, I don't know, a couple months back about the idea of um, authors publishing it on their own, selling direct. And mm-hmm. that wasn't mm-hmm. serialization, but it was, you know, the creating your own website and, and, yeah. and building. Um, and that way you're getting all of the money, you know, you're keeping everyone in your ecosystem and um, there are some authors doing that and they're, they're doing really well with it. Right. It's a, but it's a bigger barrier to entry because of the, the sort of the technical side of it. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Then, you know, it's sort of the similar thing here where it's, you figure out, I guess, the model that works best for you and your skill set. So right. if you want to do serialization, you could go the radish model, the Bella model, and then have everything sort of done for you sort of, or you can sort of go to the Reen model, which, uh, it gives you more control, gives you more money, a lot, but then you have to do more. You have to get that sort of subscriber base, or you can go even further onto the sort of WordPress model or whatever it is where you're doing all this yourself, setting up a Patreon, you know, or whatever, and getting people, funneling people that way. And then you're not paying, I guess, 
Well, you're still paying Patreon, so I guess there's no point in that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But your point is taken. I mean, that's been – so I've been building websites since 1996, right? And so the, the, the thing about building websites has always been, you know, fast, you know, e- easy or cheap. And it's just like, well, pick two because if you want – to have full control, then you're going to be spending a lot of time learning the tech and dealing with the tech. If you just want to be able to put something up and have all that handled by somebody else, you're going to be paying for that. And that's really what it boils down to. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, so you have that, that skill set already, but you're still doing Ream. So yeah. why why are you not going, I guess, the sort of the, the model of, of doing everything yourself? Is that- because there are only 24 hours in the day. <laughs> uh, I do have that skill set. If you look at my actual website, houseofyork.info, I built that. That's me. That's what I did. That took enough time. Having to build something like that and then do all the plugins and all the um, financial plugins and all the, you know, all the different ways to set it up so that it'd be a good reading experience, that I'd make some money off of it. All the financials would be easy to manage. I'm just like, dude, no, it's to me, it was, uh, you know, a time versus effort thing. And I would rather be writing. So Reem, for re for me, Reem was kind of that middle ground. It still keeps me a lot of control. I'm the one who gets paid. And then I pay the platform. That makes a lot more sense to me than publishing something and then hoping the platform pays me some money down the road. So that just was my comfort level. Uh, I did actually try to do it years ago. This was years ago. And, oh, man, just so much time. You know, if you want to be your own IT administrator, don't expect to do anything else. I I totally understand. I mean, we're <laughs> just running hidden gems is a full time mm. thing. I never have time to write. Anyway. Right. And uh, you know, I sort of in some ways look wistfully back at those times where <laughs> where all I was doing was writing. Yeah, um, it's, it's just a matter of priorities. Like you, sometimes yeah. you have to put more energy in with this thing and less energy in this thing. And that was my trade off. That was how I managed to make time for myself to write. I have my own website, but for the serialization itself, I'm just going to let that sit on Ream. Yeah, and it sounds like it's worked for you. So you're finding that you're um, able to, so like how many subscribers do you have? And like, do you find that they're, I don't know, the Ream platform, are they, they, I guess they follow you and then they get updates about, um, you know, the different books that you're working on? And and is there any discoverability towards other readers or one of the reasons I went with Ream over other options that that are out there is because it was started by writers, so who understand the industry. Not they're not just like Silicon Valley tech bros. No offense against bros, I love bros, but the tech bros are their own breed. And uh, so Ream, I really felt invested in that they understood the industry. Um, so yes, you. Um, I'm, I'm trying, sorry, I just think I distracted myself off of your question, but you were asking about like h- how people follow you and what kind of experience they're going to have. And sort of what, what is there a discoverability to other authors? Discoverability. Thank you. That's where I wanted to get back on track. So they're still in very much the uh, startup stage. They just launched discoverability, I think, um, not too long ago. It's They haven't made a huge announcement about it yet, but it's there um, because it was demanded by authors. Authors like, we want discoverability on this platform. And so the CEO and the the tech 
guy went and built discoverability on the platform. So we'll see how discoverability works on Ream. It's, it's pretty new. Um, people can follow you for free if they want, list kind of like on any other social media platform type of deal, like they hit follow and they're following you and you can send messages to them through the community um, or they can pay to belong to your community, one of your tiers. As authors, you can have really low tiers. I have like support my dog tier for $3 a month. Uh, or you could go, I know some authors do uh, like actual printed box sets that go out to their $25 to $50 tier, monthly tiers. And so it just depends on what you want to offer to the followers who are willing to pay you money and how much they're willing to pay. But That's discover bullies, really. right? What? That sounds a lot like the Kickstarter sort of model. Yeah. You know, you're having the different level of support means you get it's exactly that. different rewards. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. They mimic that very much, but only instead of like an event, it's for monthly. Right. Right. And then I guess if you stop, if you finish the book, you know, you, you might lose those people. It, it, like if you don't have... I guess that's why you kind of always want to have multiple projects. But if mm. if somebody was writing and then their project ended, all of a sudden there's no reason for people to be subscribing month by month. Well, I think the one thing that what you're seeing a lot of as a, as a way to work around of that is a lot of people offering a lot of extras. Um, so, for instance, they're offering character sheets. They're offering cut scenes. They're offering... Um, meta-analysis of their own characters, and they're putting these things as only available to their members. In a lot of ways, similar to Patreon. Like, if you just follow somebody on Patreon, you only get the free public post. But if you pay, then you get all these extra things. And sure, an artist might finish a piece, but then you know you're going to be able to watch the real-time, you know, not the real-time, but the sped-up video of them making it, and that's going to be cool. So I'm going to go, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep supporting them because I want to see that. Not to mention, I think, and this is my opinion, <laughs> but I think there's a big shift going on right now in working more towards building communities of making people followers of the characters are followers of the writer rather than just throwing out as many books as possible and hoping people buy them. So for instance, I can only speak for myself, but I have five artists I support on Patreon and I never look at the extras and bonuses. I just look at the the comics that they're putting out that they put out for everybody, but I want to support them. I want to make sure that comic keeps going and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the property of hate by Sarah Jolly. Like, I want that thing to keep going. I love it so much. I will pay her every month, even if all I ever do is read that comic. And that's the kind of thing I want. I want people who want to pay me to keep my art and my creativity going, even if a story ends, because they know they're going to be there's going to be another story and they love my work. I, I honestly think if you want to see an example of this, look at the Victoria Goddard fandom for Hands of the Emperor. Uh, she has a Discord server and the fans are ravenous. I mean, they just buy everything she writes. They're constantly talking to each other about the books and doing meta analysis and, and just it's it blows me away, that particular fandom. And so that's what I want. And that's how you're going to engage people and keep people subscribing to you. If all you want to do is write a story and throw it out into the world, then I don't think subscription or serialization is for you. 
But if you're willing to invest and build a community around what you love and what you love to write and write these stories, whether they're really long serials or whether they're just serialized novels, then serialization and subscriptions probably will work well for you. Well, that is really good advice. Unfortunately, we're approaching the top of the hours, but that's probably, oh, no. quite, a good, <laughs> that's probably quite a good uh, stopping off point to, to wrap things up. So what a fascinating, I mean, I had not even considered the idea of serialization. I think it was so interesting how you brought in the very real fact that a lot of writers are frustrated with Amazon and are looking at alternatives to Amazon. Mm -hmm. And this is something that, that offers to it. So before we wrap things up, Craig, did you have any final thoughts or questions? And then we'll ask Kimbu to, to let us know where her, uh, people who've enjoyed this podcast can find her. Uh, no, I mean, I agree. It is fascinating. And, and although like we covered sort of like the, the um, I guess the uh, more of the radish model or, or, or whatever it was back, it was probably close to two years or, you know, a year and a half ago when we when we talked about this, obviously things have really progressed a lot in that time. So um, for authors that haven't really considered it at all or haven't considered it since um, since then, I think that this is really um, a different model to consider because they, especially if they're sort of in that mode of pushing back against the, the Amazons and, the, mm -hmm. and all the other traditional bookstores and the idea of creating their own, um, their own author ecosystem that they can nurture and, and sort of as it builds, it, it really just benefits them more than the corporation. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that is going to resonate well with uh with authors and our audience in general so thanks for coming on sure thing and, and if any of your listeners are interested i belong to a group on i know facebook i know i know but uh it's called subscriptions for authors it is on facebook it's got i think almost five thousand members now there's a lot of talk and exploration about different platforms different ways to do it different styles of writing different approaches um you know what to do if you've got chronic health issues and you can't put out a book every week you know just a lot of discussion and dialogue on it that's a subscription for authors group on facebook i'm a member have been a member for a while so if you're curious i advise uh, uh listeners to this podcast to go there and explore it a little bit great well that is fantastic and yes and and so yeah we've got your your website there we'll pop a link down below okay great um and yeah and if you have enjoyed listening to kimbu share all this wisdom make sure you go and check out her website and uh make sure you leave a comment and let her know uh, and spread Please. that love and while you're down there uh make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and click that like button and hit that bell notification what a to-do list i'm giving you right now but hopefully you've some, done some of these beforehand but kimbu thank you so much for joining us we have really really enjoyed this chat it's been really really uh enlightening thank you roland thank you craig it's been a pleasure to be here and talking with you all about this and i hope i get a chance to come back sometime soon it's been fun Ab absolutely, absolutely. And if you want to see Kimbrew back, let us know in the comment section down below. But until then, we'll be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. So until then, cheerio.